You're listening to the Tree of Life podcast, where we desire to be a bridge between the two covenantal peoples, physical Israel and spiritual Israel, by inspiring the non-Jewish part of Messiah's body to reconnect with its Jewish roots through biblical teaching and worshipful demonstrations, and to work towards greater understanding and reconciliation between Messiah's body and traditional Judaism. And now, here's Rabbi Joel Lieberman. Why don't we move on in our message today. Open up where we left off last Shabbat. Maybe we'll hit that at the end of the service, Joe. The end. It's only the beginning. Well, Shabbat Shalom, my friends. Before we get into the word this morning, I thought I'd give you a fun factoid. Taught and written on the roughly 184,600 English words of the Brit Chadashah, the New Covenant Scriptures here at Tree of Life. 75% of that content has been diligently audio recorded and cataloged. Much of it has been video recorded as well, with the exception of my preaching and teaching through the Gospel of Matayahu of Matthew back in 1999, where we were recording to cassette tapes. How many of you remember those things? <laughs> and the 28 verses of 2nd and 3rd Yochanan, which I've written on in my book, Letters from the Beloved, but not formally preached and taught on here. So before we tackle another book in the Tanakh, verse by verse, in a few months, I want to give you a break from a full Bible book study for a short time. You also might be interested as well to know that we've taught through 25 of the 39 books in the Tanakh here at Tree of Life on Shabbat, uh, but some of the longer books we haven't gotten to yet which then means I've only formally taught 40% of the Tanakh. Thus, plenty of material still left to cover over the next number of years here. No one can ever accuse us here at Tree of Life of avoiding any portions of Scripture. And so with that said, 21 months ago, I began sharing with you the most extensive sermon series I have ever embarked on at Tree of Life here. 53 hours of teaching that has covered the gospel according to Luke. As I sat in my office a month into pandemic lockdown in April of 2020, for that task I knew I needed a significant detailed roadmap on how to approach this series, which resulted in a 10-page comprehensive outline, which I've posted to our website. It's been posted there since we began this series. From preliminary information, such as Luke's gospel being comprised of approximately 19,404 Greek words, which makes it 14% of the Brit Chadashah scriptures, to it being the gospel account with the most amount of miracles, 21, seven of which are only reported here in this gospel. And the most parables, 33 parables, 14 of which are only reported in this gospel. We've taken a look through the Gospel of Luke as history, internal and external evidence for its authorship, who was written for, and its emphasis. To Luke's Gospel as ancient literature, various suggestions for its detailed structure as it's laid out. To Luke's Gospel as theology, studies in soteriology or salvation, pneumatology or Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, and discipleship. And so as we complete our study this morning, 
We want to be reminded, my friends, of the threefold purpose of Luke's gospel once again. Number one, to make known the exact truth about the historical Yeshua from eyewitness testimony. Number two, to make known Adonai's story of how the rejection of Israel's leadership to Yeshua in the Gentiles' entrance into the kingdom are actually in accord with his divine plan. And by clarifying the Messiah's teaching concerning the end of days and the timing of his return. And finally, the purpose number three, to defend the good news in light of global opposition. And so as we turn our attention to the final portion of our text today, we realize that most biographies of great men and women end with their death and burial. But not Yeshua. (laughs) He is alive. He will ascend to heaven and send Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, to give birth to the body of the Messiah. And so this morning, as we conclude our 21-month study of the gospel according to Luke, we will read four sections of these final verses, which introduce four tremendous truths about Yeshua. Follow along with me in Luke chapter 24. You can turn on your phones and to the app. You get a section for notes and the scriptures there if you'd like. And we'll begin reading in verse 33. And they got up that very hour. You remember the two disciples, Cleopas and his companion from last Shabbat. And they returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and others with them gathered together saying, The Lord is risen indeed. He has appeared to Shimon, Kepha, Peter. Then they began telling about the events on the road and how he became recognized by them in the breaking of the matzah. And while they were speaking of these things, Yeshua himself stood in the midst of them and said, Shalom Aleichem. But they were startled and terrified, thinking they were seeing a ghost. I thought I was seeing a ghost when I... We were saying that last song. It was like, boo, boo, it's bow, come. Maybe we need to put something on there. Did that, is it just me or did that, did you think that too? It's like seeing a ghost or something. All right. And then he said to them, why are you so shaken? And why do doubts arise in your heart? Look at my hands and my feet. It is myself. It is I myself. Touch me and see, for a a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they were still in disbelief due to joy and wonder, he said to them, Got anything to eat? (laughs) Do you have anything to eat here? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Yeshua offers us shalom when we're troubled. And so as Cleopas and his companion hurriedly walked the seven miles back to Jerusalem, despite the dangers of traveling at night, they arrived back in Jerusalem on that Sunday late at night, and the eleven confirmed what had happened earlier that day on the road to Emmaus that was relayed to them, that Yeshua had indeed risen And sometime during that day had appeared to Simon, Shimon, Peter. Now the Gospels don't relate the details of that appearance, but Peter's testimony apparently convinced some of them. Yet, 
At the same time, the Mark's gospel records that some of the disciples here voiced their skepticism of the account of Cleopas and his companion. Well, while the Talmudian, the disciples, were busy trying to convince themselves here of the truth of the resurrection, Yeshua himself stood in their midst. Now, Luke does not explain how Yeshua did this. In any event, the Talmudim were frightened when Yeshua appeared to them. They thought they were looking at some other spirit without even considering that this contradicted the idea of the afterlife in paradise or Gehenna and the doctrine of the bodily resurrection. Their doubts include this confusion and continuing questions about the reality of the resurrection itself. But Yeshua will prove that it is really he who has risen from the dead by, appe by appearing in their sight, hearing and touching, and in by inviting them to investigate and to touch his wounds. Now, as I mentioned last Shabbat, there's no reason... For believing Yeshua's resurrection body was not the same literal physical body, albeit it was now adapted for life in the new heaven and new earth. Not bound by the laws of nature. Now, no human being actually saw the actual moment of the resurrection, but the fact that Yeshua appeared repeatedly in the same body for some 40 days to over 500 different people on 12 different occasions that the Gospels, Acts, and a couple of Paul's letters record, is indisputable evidence, my friends, that he really rose bodily from the dead. You see, without an empty tomb and repeated appearances of the same body that was once buried in it, there would be no proof of the resurrection. And so it's not surprising at all that the Brit Hadashah scriptures strongly stresses the many appearances of Messiah. They are the real proof of the physical resurrection. And so with that said, the Gospels do not record the probable hundreds of personal visitations that disciples of Yeshua experienced over these 40 days. Each of the initial 70 disciples Yeshua sent out early in his ministry from the Galilee must have probably received a personal visit as well. Quickie quiz for you. Here's a good scripture trivia question. What are the only man-made things in heaven? The wounds of Yeshua. The nail prints in his wrists and his ankles. They were still there when Yeshua was resurrected. And according to the prophet Zechariah, they'll still be there when Yeshua returns. Because those living in Jerusalem are going to ask the question. Zechariah 13.6 says, what are these wounds between your hands? My friends, faith in Yeshua is not just a spiritual religion, as many of the world religions are, with no anchor in history. You have to understand the typical first century CE Greco-Roman pagan religion was very much like the forms of the New Age movement that we have today. That is, it was centered in mystical experience or philosophical speculation. And it really wasn't tied to any particular person or time or place Unfortunately, our Jewish people are heavily involved in this in increasing numbers today. In any event, the disciples were terrified when Yeshua appeared. Why? The doors were all closed. Probably they were locked. How did he get into that room? Well, 
Let's move on from that for a moment. The first thing that Yeshua said to them upon entering that room was what? Shalom Aleichem. Peace be unto you. His greeting bore its literal meaning to the fullest extent. As they heard it, they would, re- would have remembered him recently, how he said to them, Shalom I leave you, my shalom I give to you. In other words, this was more, my friends, than just a formal greeting. He bestowed on them the shalom of the messianic era. And then Yeshua asked them a question. Why are you so shaken? The word shaken literally means in the Greek to be stirred up with distress. Yeshua is asking us today the same question. What is troubling us? What is it in our life right now that is causing us to be stirred up with distress? What are we losing sleep over? Life is tough. Yeshua never denied that. In fact, he told us we were going to face a lot of service, right? A lot of trouble, a lot of tribulation. But that's okay because he can give us shalom in the midst of a troubling world. My friends, would you like to have the shalom that only Yeshua can give? If so, we must do the same two things that the disciples did that night. What are they? Shalom comes when you and they examine Yeshua. Yeshua invited the disciples to check him out. You see, the messianic walk is not just the same. It's not some blind leap of faith into the darkness. It's always invited honest investigation and study. Yeshua told the disciples to look and see. And instead of focusing on their fears, Yeshua told them, don't do that. Focus on him. They were still in danger, right, of being arrested and executed. In fact, almost all of them eventually did die by execution. But Yeshua says, I can give you shalom in the midst of your fears. <laughs> My friends, if you spend your time focusing on your difficult, unpleasant circumstances, you'll be constantly stirred up and troubled. But if you focus your eyes on Yeshua, you can and you will find his shalom. Number two, next we see that shalom continues when you experience Yeshua. Yeshua not only said, look at me, he reassured him he was real. Touch me and see, he said, for a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see I have. And so he further proved his reality by snacking on a piece of fish and some honeycomb, according to some manuscripts as well. You see, in most Jewish traditions, angels did not eat earthly food and spirits had no need for food. We may not know too much about our resurrected bodies, but since we'll be like Yeshua, it's a pretty safe bet to say we're going to be chowing down in heaven. You thought you chowed down last Sunday. Yeshua invited them to touch him because there is something reassuring about touch 
when you're afraid, and when you're troubled. My friends, wouldn't it be great if you could actually reach out and touch Yeshua? (laughs) The physical presence of Yeshua is no longer here. He has ascended back into heaven, but he hasn't left us without the comforting assurance of a physical touch. He provides that. How does he provide that? He provides that through the people who are here in his body, the Kehillah. Today, we are the arms of Yeshua. We are the hands of Yeshua. We are the feet of the Messiah. When we reach out and shake one another's hands or when we give them a friendly hug, that is the touch of Yeshua. That's why watching worship services online will never be a substitute for actually being here. There's no personal touch. Love you. Don't tune me out. Don't click that mouse. Don't do that. As we continue to become an increasingly high-tech culture, I believe the Kehillah must become a high-touch gathering where we pass out hugs and we pass out handshakes. The second tremendous truth we find about Yeshua in the next several verses, let's look at them in verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. Everything written concerning me in the Torah of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, So it is written, That the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. Yeshua can and he will open our minds to the scriptures. Are you ever confused though when you read the scriptures? You see true understanding of the scriptures so that we understand how all of redemptive history fits together. That actually is a gift from God. All night, Yeshua's disciples learned together as he recited scriptural text on scriptural text from memory. Yeshua opened the minds of his disciples to the scriptures by telling them that he fulfilled all the prophecies in the Tanakh. The Messiah had to suffer and die in order to be raised from the dead. Yet the Torah scholars and scribes studied the Tanakh meticulously, but they were missing the point. Why? Because they didn't understand Yeshua was fulfilling it. My friends, the scripture should not be confusing to us. But do we have a hunger to read it? Do you want Yeshua to open your mind to the scriptures? My friends, if we don't open his word on a regular basis, he is not going to open our mind to the scriptures. Study them diligently and you will find Yeshua there. Let's move ahead to the third tremendous truth about the Messiah. In the next number of verses, we see in verse 47, and that repentance for the removal of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with koach, with power from on high. 
Yeshua provides koach. He provides power to be his global witness. Yeshua told the disciples, guys, you have a big job ahead of you. Preaching the need for teshuvah from sins and forgiveness for sins for all nations. Notice here that Yeshua's disciples were not to preach about forgiveness of sins without the demand for teshuvah, without the, re- the demand for repentance. Teshuvah involves a complete change of attitude toward Adonai and a change of direction in life. A person must admit and turn from his or her own sinful, rebellious way, leaving it behind to fulfill and fully pursue God's purposes. This is a huge job ahead of us. And remember here, this was a ragtag group of largely uneducated and ignorant men. Yeshua assigned our great task and our promised equipping power to, for that task is to be Ruach HaKodesh, not the power of this earth, not the power of position, not the power of recognition, not the power of wealth, and not the power of politics. Our power is to be spiritual. Our power is to be supernatural. It is to be the very power of God himself. His very own Ruach was to dwell within the heart and the life of each one of us as followers of Yeshua. No greater power can be possessed by any human. And this is clearly seen in the life of the early disciples who experienced the coming of God's spirit into their being. They never ever again asked about earthly power. The point is this. We, as Yeshua's followers, have been given a task by Adonai, a mission to carry out on the earth. What's that mission? Testifying about Yeshua and his resurrection. We do not have the power to carry out that task in the natural. The power of Adonai himself, of his ruach, his spirit, is necessary. Both the spirit of God and his power, by the way, are promised to us. But Ruach HaKodesh comes upon us as an equipping power. And so we see that as Yeshua communicated here a vision about reaching the world, his men unfortunately were thinking defense. And Yeshua says, no guys, I want you to think offense. My friends, our task is the great task, again, of witnessing for the Lord. To be Yeshua's witnesses in both word and deed means what? Communicating the verbal content of the gospel and living God's way, not our own way in our lives. The word witness is a natural result of Ruach HaKodesh within us. So is power. God says very simply that a spirit-filled person has power and becomes a witness for him throughout the world. Yeshua gives us the method that we're to follow in his witness and for the spread of the good news. We are to witness where he is, Jerusalem, and move progressively outward in concentric circles, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We are to witness where we are first. Seeing to it that the Messiah is well known throughout our homes and throughout our communities before moving on. But once he is well known, we're to move out, pressing forward from where we are today. We find in the first chapter of Luke's second volume, the Acts of the Emissaries, 
a repeating of some of the details that we find here in this final chapter of Luke. Luke writes of Yeshua appearing after the resurrection and giving the disciples definite proofs that he was alive. And Yeshua again gives them the command, wait in Jerusalem until you receive koach, power. The key to this power is Ruach HaKodesh. The promise of power Yeshua gave to the disciples is a promise that just didn't end with those disciples. It's a promise he gave to us as well. There's a lot of believers that don't think that. That the power of God somehow was just relegated for that first century. Listen, Messianic Judaism did not come back and be rebirthed without the power of God. We're not going to do anything for the kingdom of God without the power of God. He comes so that Yeshua's disciples are not abandoned as orphans, so that they're not left to their own strength, to their own courage, to their own thinking, to their own power. And the Ruach comes to empower them as they are now ekbolo. They are now sent out into the world. To be Yeshua's Talmud is to be sent into the same world that Yeshua lived to encounter the same types of hostilities that Yeshua encountered to do and to say the same kinds of things Yeshua did in his earthly life. And just as Adonai was faithful to Yeshua in enabling him to faithfully carry out his mission and his ministry in the world. So Yeshua is now faithful to those whom he is sending into the world through the person and the work of Ruach HaKodesh. Yeshua's ministry on the earth was to proclaim the promise of Ruach HaKodesh, which was prophesied by our prophets. Ezekiel and Joel particularly. Ezekiel 36, Joel chapter 2. Adonai knew and Yeshua proclaimed that no man could live and witness for the Lord, not in the arm of the flesh. Have you noticed that when you're sharing with somebody and you're, you're in the flesh? You're trying to make sense of it all. You're trying to put it all together, but you've not really asked the Lord for him to speak through you and what the appropriate... Scripture is, I've done it many times. Yeshua knew that man needed a supernatural power, the power of Adonai himself. Yeshua knew that the very presence of God's Ruach had to enter into the very heart of a man and impart the divine nature of God, recreating his being completely and living within his body, giving us as his followers, Yeshua's followers, the power to control his life or her life for the Lord and to courageously proclaim the good news. My friends, tongues is a part of that. I don't think I've ever preached a message on but that's probably coming soon. Yeshua shares how the Shilchim, the emissaries, and all succeeding believers are to receive Ruach HaKonish in his fullness and power. They and we are to wait in prayer for the coming of the Holy Spirit, which is the supreme gift of God to the believer. Isaiah prophesied this out 750 years ago in advance of Yeshua when he records this. He says in Isaiah 32, 15, Till the Spirit is poured out on us from above and the desert becomes a fertile field with a fertile field regarded as a forest. 
For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit, my ruach on your descendants, my blessing on your offspring. This is not New Testament stuff, folks. This is the prophets of Israel. They recognized there was coming a day where God's spirit was going to fall on the land of it. It's going to fall on our Jewish people. Well, Rabbi Joel, you've been saying that for 30 years, and I'm going to continue to say it because it's the word of God. It is going to happen. It's already happening. We shared last week that the Messianic movement has tripled in Israel over the past 20 years. It's going to explode. God's spirit is going to eject himself into the land. We're going to see God's spirit poured out. Joel chapter 2 is going to come to pass. Old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions on your female and male slaves. I will pour out my spirit in those days. It's pray for it. It's going to happen. Be a part of that river. Don't get an arrogant spirit. Say, well, that's not for today. That's your traditions getting in the way of the Bible. We are to wait in prayer to receive the Holy Spirit. And as we wait, we are gaining more and more awareness and consciousness of the Spirit's presence in our lives and His power. As we wait, we are gaining more and more and more knowledge of the Ruach himself, how he lives, how he works within our heart, how he works within our life. And as we wait, we learn how to surrender more and more of our lives to the Spirit's control and his witness. And as we are filled with the Spirit, guess what? We experience more and more of the fruit of the Spirit. You and I must, and that's a strong word, we must be filled with Ruach HaKodesh. At least two reasons why it's a must. Number one, God's word commands it. You see, because we as believers, we're not automatically filled. You see, we have... We have to hear about the promise of the Spirit before we can receive Him, right? We have to hear. We have to focus our attention upon. We have to hunger. We have to thirst for the things of God. We have to center our life on the Spirit of God in order to receive the promise of the Spirit. And then we will be immersed with Ruach HaKodesh. Shaul wrote, the emissary wrote, Paul, he writes, and do not get drunk on wine, for that is recklessness. Instead, what? Be filled with the Ruach. When we are filled with the Ruach, we are under the influence of the Ruach, and he controls our speech. Hello. He controls our actions. The way we can tell that we're filled with the Spirit is that we'll be witnessing for Yeshua. So number one, God's word commands it. And number two, God's work demands it. We cannot, as I mentioned, we cannot witness without the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't, listen to this, we can't forgive people who have hurt us without the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't be the kind of wife or husband we should be without the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, the reason we have so many powerless, defeated Yeshua followers in our 
congregations is that people are trying to live this messianic life in the strength of their own flesh. How many of you know that leads to frustration? That leads to defeat. So let's look at the final tremendous truth about Yeshua from these final verses. Verse 50, then Yeshua led them out as far as Beit Anya, Bethany. And he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while blessing them, he departed from them and was taken up into heaven. After worshiping him, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continuously in the temple praising God. After the crucifixion and for the resurrection, the disciples were people without hope and without joy. But when Yeshua appeared to them alive, their hopes were restored. And then Luke tells us that Yeshua took them from the house through the quiet city streets early that morning, out through the city gates, down the road that traversed the Kidron Valley, to a spot on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives near Bethany. Yeshua then lifted up his scarred hands above his head with his open palms toward the disciples and blessed them. Which means in Judaism that he pronounced the Kohenic, the Aaronic blessing from Numbers chapter 6. You see, in temple days, the Kohanim, the priests, would lift up their hands and they would make the sign of the Hebrew letter Shin with their fingers while bestowing the blessing. Jewish symbolism regards the letter Shin as an abbreviation for the name of God. The Kohanim made the sign of God's name to fulfill the commandments, number 627. And in this way, they're to place my name over B'nai Yisrael, so I will bless them. And so Yeshua's blessing over the disciples creates really, in a sense, a bookend on the Gospel of Luke. You might recall in chapter 1, the, the Kohen Zechariah had the responsibility of leading the priesthood in pronouncing this same blessing. Then Yeshua ascended before the disciples' very eyes. They were shocked. They were spellbound, gazing at that particular sight. They were beholding one of the most dramatic and phenomenal events ever experienced. The ascension of the Messiah Yeshua and his return back to heaven. Yeshua ascended somewhat, interestingly enough, in a dramatic, spectacular fashion, didn't he? April, if you'd come up. Why did he... Why did he depart in this way? Well, I believe for the sake of his disciples. I believe there were several significant reasons why such a dramatic departure was needed right now. Number one, Yeshua needed to dramatize and enforce his final departure. You see, up until that point, since his resurrection, Yeshua had been appearing and disappearing at will, right? No, this departure was going to be final. He would never need to return again, not as he had been doing. And therefore, this departure needed to be different. It needed to be impressed and enforced in their minds and in their consciousnesses of these disciples once and for all. Secondly, Yeshua needed to dramatize and enforce his claim upon the disciples. He wanted the disciples to have the most dramatic confirmation that he was exactly who he claimed to be. And finally, Yeshua needed to dramatize 
and enforce his return on earth to earth that shall take place exactly as he said, recorded in Matthew's gospel account. And what does Luke then record? It says they, I'm telling you folks, you might read over this quickly, they worshipped him. This is the first time we've seen the disciples worship Yeshua because Yeshua had said earlier, you shall worship only the Lord God. And that's exactly what they were doing. Worshiping something less than God would have been considered avodah zarah, idolatry by every one of these Jewish disciples. There's the deity of Yeshua right there. They knew what they were doing. Now, ancient writers... Again, as I mentioned, they often frame their narratives by starting and ending at the same point. And so Luke does here. He frames his whole gospel by starting in the temple and ending in the temple. We're told that Yeshua's disciples here returned with what? Great joy. They were continually in the temple praising God for the next 10 days. They were filled with joy. Their grief and sadness had been transformed into joy. I love what British writer and academic C.S. Lewis once said. He said this, in this world, everything is upside down. I do think that while we are in this valley of tears, cursed with labor, hemmed around with necessities, tripped up with frustrations, doomed to perpetual plannings, puzzlings, and anxieties, that joy is the serious business of heaven. On Yom Teruah, back in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, they said to the people gathered there on seventh month, the first day of the month, also known as Rosh Hashanah to our people, Yom Teruah, the day of the sounding of the shofar. Do not grieve, they said, for for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The word in Hebrew there for strength, ma'utzchem, ma'utzchem, means that the joy of the Lord, catch this, is a fortress and a fortification. We are to remain in that fortress. Now we know that we have the Mayim Chaim, the living water within us. We know that. But how many of you know, like any good water system, we have to draw it out. How do we do that? Prime the pump. I think one hindrance to drawing joy out, hear my heart, friends, is continuing to view an endless stream of videos and articles dealing with the world situation or other situations that can tamp down and it squelches our joy. Or am I the only one? I want to issue, I'm going to throw down a challenge to you today because I'm throwing it down to myself. And it's not an easy challenge. 
For every hour that we decide to read these articles, for every hour we decide to watch these videos, add a half an hour of prayer on that situation. You're either going to be praying a whole lot more or you're going to stop watching the videos. One of the two is going to happen. What does that do? It takes us from a position of passivity when we're watching the videos and we get frustrated and the joy is leaking out to more of a participant. We are active. We are engaged. We are going to the Lord about that situation in the world. My final questions to us today are this. Is there joy in our life? Have you lost the joy of your salvation? Are there people in your life? Are there circumstances in your life that have robbed you of your joy? Now think about that seriously. My friends, Yeshua is able to do the same thing for you that he did for these disciples. He can, and I believe he desires, to turn their sadness into joy. The prophet Isaiah writes that when the Messiah came, he would have a specific ministry to those who mourn. Quote, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. You might be struggling this morning with a spirit of despair. Things may not be going well for you and you don't think they're going to get any better. The Messiah Yeshua today is offering you a garment to put on. It is the garment of praise. It is the garment of joy. My friends, think of it like this as we close today. That happiness is like a thermometer. It only measures elation. But joy is like a thermostat. Joy determines, joy regulates our attitude. And so let the conclusion of our 21 months in the gospel not be the end of anything but truly the beginning of a revitalized relational journey with our Creator and Redeemer. Kadima, we move forward in Yeshua. Lord, we're not naive. We come here on Saturday morning, sometimes we feel like the wasted ruins of Jerusalem. We've been buffeted. We've been battered. We've taken some lumps. We've taken some fists to the face in the world this week. And Lord, you're doing some spiritual surgery today. You're refilling us up with your spirit. Why? So we can forgive that employer. We can forgive that neighbor. We can forgive that family member. You're pouring out waters on thirsty land in our lives. You're pouring out your spirit that we would have power to be that witness for you. Lord, we look at our nation and we see things two ways. We can see it through the prism of joy, which I choose to view current events because it's all 
revolving around the return of the Messiah to the Mount of Olives. As he left there, as we read today, or we look through it with the prism of depression and oppression, and we're never going to get out of this thing. His joy he's left unto us. His joy he's given to us. Nothing hurts, I believe, the heart of the Father when his children are walking around with little reservoirs of joy in their life. He wants it filled up. Now, I'm not talking about happiness. That's the thermometer. You could be going through Gehenna right now, but you're still full of joy because you recognize the end game. That's when we're tested. So, Father God, we thank you today for your word, for this gospel. We've wrestled with every word. We've received every word. Now, Lord, your instructions were to go and make disciples of all nations. Lord, we've waited and we've waited and we've waited for your spirit. I believe you already have poured it out and are continuing to pour it out if we look for it. As we spend that alone time with you on a daily basis, Lord, that the joy of the Lord would fill our hearts to the point where we begin to just laugh out loud because it's so overflow. It has to come out. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have practiced the prayer life of tongues where it's just, it's not, it can't be it can't be understood in English. It can't be praised even in English. We just begin to praise in an unknown tongue, uttering mysteries in the spirit. It's the joy of the Lord coming forth. It's the joy of the Lord in our life. It's the joy of the Lord that takes a life that has circumstances that are against us in saying, come what may, I'm going to follow him. God always comes through. I love when I hear testimonies of tree of lifers. Man, you're just, you're just throwing all caution to the wind. You are out on the Lord, and if the Lord doesn't come through, you're on the streets homeless. There are some that have gone through that here, and they've, it's been a mystery, and they recognize that God's got me. It's his plan for me. It's his plan to provide for me. And so I'm talking to those of you here with a financial need, those that have relationally. Listen, there are people in this room that are Jewish and their families have written them off. They treat them as second class. Why? For the testimony of the Messiah. You stand strong in your faith. You let the joy of the Lord overwhelm you to the point where you know that you know that all Israel saved means my father or my grandmother or my spouse. It's going to happen, but we've got to wait and we've got to press in. And that requires some powerful intercession. Not going to happen by a laissez-faire attitude. We have men's prayer here every Tuesday night. And it is a time of power. We have women's prayer going once a month as well. It's a time when we lock and load. And by the time we exit this place on Tuesday nights for the men, man, the joy of the Lord has bubbled up within us. And I'm telling you, guys come in, they are battered, man. And by the time we leave, because we've spent time in the Holy Spirit. So, men, I'm going to ask you to come out. And maybe, listen, there are men that come that don't pray out loud. Just pray for an hour with us. You don't need to embarrass yourself. We're not going to embarrass you. We might pray over you. We might pray with you for a situation. We're not going to embarrass you. 
And likewise for the ladies, this is a time of communal prayer. Yes, we pray in our homes. Yes, it's powerful. But there's something about corporate agreement that just brings the power of God to a place where we believe everything that's written will come to pass. It's not wishful thinking. It's locking in on the promises of God that his promises are can, yes, and amen. I believe all Israel saved. Whatever you might make of the Hebrew word kol yisr, I believe it. We're getting ready to do a, a 28 and a half minute television infomercial in the next 10 days or so, taping it in Phoenix, Arizona. To let the world know about Messianic Jews, let the world know about the Joseph Project and what we're doing in Israel. I'm going to ask you to keep that in prayer. I'll, I'll let you know more details next Shabbat. This is the most exciting move of God, I believe, personally, since the days of the Shilachim. There's a lot of great revivals happening in a lot of great nations. And the Lord's promise is yes and amen. And we are to take the good news to all nations. But unless Israel gets it, the Messiah is not going to come back. Why? He said, Baruch They have to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The leadership of Israel has to say that. How's that going to happen without some serious intercession and prayer? And that's our assignment because we see it coming. That's our assignment. That's not everybody's assignment. Jew and Gentile together, one in Messiah, one in the olive tree. Some natural branches, some wild branches. And I'm telling you folks, I've been here for 26 years as your leader. We got some pretty wild branches. And we cannot do it without one another. We cannot do it without one another. I've often said, and it's a joke, but maybe it's not a joke. That if this congregation was strictly 100% Jews, we would have shut down a long time ago. Why? Too many opinions. There's too much of it. It's too much. It's too much. We need some mellowers. And I'm not saying Gentiles, but they do help us mellow us out a little bit in some of our opinions. Two Jews, three opinions, right? Two Messianic Jews, four or five opinions. We are strong. It's not easy to humble ourselves to one another to work as a team. David Ben-Gurion, the president, the first one of Israel, said this. He felt, he felt like the president of two million presidents. <laughs> we need you. Stand with me if you would. I want to pray what Yeshua prayed. It's his blessing. It's the Kohenic blessing over you today. Ishadonai panavelecha v'yasemlecha shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you this week. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May Adonai lift up his countenance over you and grant you his peace, the Prince of all peace, and all of us who are with him said, Amen. Be amen. Shabbat Shalom, everybody. Thanks for joining us this week. Make sure to visit our website, treeoflifeca.org, and be sure to subscribe to the show in iTunes, Google, Spotify, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you've found value in this show, 
we'd appreciate a ratings on iTunes or simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us out too. If you like this show, you might want to check out our Facebook page, Tree of Life Messianic Jewish Congregation, to see more content, including our weekly live stream. Be sure to tune in for our next episode as we continue to explore our Jewish roots through Scripture. <laughs>